Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week we are joined by community lead pastor Dave Ferguson as we continue our series, Profiles in Courage. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. at the Yellow Box. We hope to see you there. came and said, you are a mighty warrior. And then fire dropped and then it just, the fire dropped out to the rocks in the meat. It just flamed on fire. Well, that's not the same part. And guess what? I can see very far away. So when he woke up, the wool was wet in the, but then he said, he said, if the wool is dry and if the and if the grass is wet, I'll believe you guys. <laughs> everyone say go home now. Everyone that is afraid, go home now. God sent home anyone that drinks like a dog. So that's but how a dog drinks water. That's what I was talking about. Everyone that goes home, there are 300 left. Broke the jars and blew the trumpets. God saved Idiot and killed me. All right, there you have it. Very cute, am I right? All right, how are we doing, community? Good. Uh, I, just briefly, I, I had an opportunity to uh, spend a little more than a week in, in Norway, and I just want you to know that your influence here, both at the Yellow Box and across all of community, is being felt in places far away as Europe. Um, we have a new thing church there that is on the verge of starting an initiative where they're planning on planting 400, 400 churches across the country of Norway, a country of 5.2 million. And if they do that... I said, when they do that, I think it'll change the spiritual landscape of what's happening in that part of the world and perhaps even around the world. So I'll tell you what, just do this. Guy, reach beside the person next to you, pat him on the back and say, hey, way to go, way to go. Way to go, there you go, all right? Um, I'll tell you, let's, I'm gonna start with a picture here. Anybody, uh, let's, this photo here, anybody recognize this guy? We got a few people, anybody else? Okay, Jason McElwain, or as his friends call him, J-Mac, um, and he took the sports world by storm. It was exactly 10 years ago. Now, if you don't remember his story, uh, this guy, he was the team manager for a varsity boys basketball team in upstate New York. For four years, he sat on the bench as the team manager, white shirt, black tie, passing out water bottles and towels to all the guys on the team. And because uh, J-Mac was, uh, was diagnosed with autism as a toddler. But he never really saw himself as any different than anybody else on the team. And the team was getting ready for the last home game of his senior season. And the coach decided, you know what? I'm going to have J-Max suit up. Maybe, maybe we'll put him in the game. 
So all the classmates heard about this, and they just packed the stands. They packed the stands, the gym. They actually had big banners and posters and giant faces of J-Mac out there in case he got in the game. And uh, the team got up in the fourth quarter by double digits with just four minutes to play. And the coach looks down the bench and points at him, and he says, get in the game. The crowd goes crazy. And what happens next was uh, just absolutely magical. Not many high school basketball managers get a party on their behalf, especially not 10 years after graduation. It seems like just yesterday, it was a magical night back in 2006. Coach pointed his finger at me and I stepped onto the court for the first time in my varsity career. Jason McElwain is autistic. Ten years ago, it was his job to fetch water and mop up other people's sweat at Greece Athena High School in Rochester, New York. But for the last regular season game of his senior year, the coach let Jason, better known as J-Mac, suit up and play the final four minutes. That's him going in, number 52. Everyone in the crowd was hoping for a layup, at most. But J-Mac had other ideas. He stepped outside the three-point line and drained it. And he was just getting started. You caught fire. I just caught fire. I was hot as a pistol. J-Mac ended up shooting six three-pointers. One right after the other. He had 20 points total. And each time a shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazy. His last basket, right at the buzzer, created total mayhem. After we first told this story, big things started happening for J-Mac. I mean, big things. A country was captivated by an amazing story on the basketball court. President George Bush requested an audience with him. J-Mac co-authored a book about himself. Thanks, J-Mac. And perhaps the biggest change of all. It gave me confidence that I can do anything. Let's go! After graduation, J-Mac became assistant coach at his old high school. His passion for the game hasn't faded a bit. His connection to the students, as strong as ever. The only difference is that now, above it all, number 52 hangs near the rafters. His retired jersey, a reminder to us all that there is greatness waiting in every kid. We just need to call their numbers. Steve Hartman, On the Road. I, I mean, I, I love that story. I mean, here's a, a kid who goes from one minute, he's handing out towels and water bottles. The next minute, they didn't even talk about this. ESPN gives awards called the ESPY Awards. He got the ESPY Award for greatest sports moment of the year, which you can totally understand why. But, but don't you just, I mean, don't you love, don't, I mean, don't you just love stories like that? I mean, the stories like that, when you hear those stories, I mean, they, they energize you, they, 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 they inspire you. Stories of the underdog against all odds who does something amazing. And uh, we're in a series called Profiles in Courage. And we're looking at those kind of stories. The kind of stories that do motivate us, that inspire us, that encourage us. Okay, I want to be everything that God meant for me to be. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the story of a guy by the name of, uh, of Gideon. Who wasn't really anything special. Uh, just Gideon. I mean, you're going, hold on, no, I, I know Gideon, He's special. That's the guy that puts all the, the Bibles in the hotels, right? <laughs> all right, not, not that Gideon, but good try. Uh, the Gideon we're talking about 
is uh, the same Gideon that, uh, that, uh, that our little kids were just talking about in the video. Gideon and his people, the Israelites, they were facing some tremendous challenges. I mean, tremendous challenges. An enemy, an enemy nation called the Midianites had defeated them and were ruling over them for the last seven years now. And to really kind of understand this, the Midianites, they were this cruel, kind of medieval, kind of terrorist group. They would randomly attack the Israelites. They'd move and just destroy their crops. For no reason, they'd come in and just destroy their livestock. It was, it was really a horrific and evil regime. And Gideon's people are hiding. Gideon's people, I mean, they're, they're afraid. They're, they're, they're barely surviving. And what they need is a hero. And so they cry out to God. They cry out to God, God, help us. God, send somebody to rescue us. I think in the same way, in big ways and also very small ways, I think we need some heroes. And I believe that this morning that God is calling some of you into a new level of courage and heroic kind of behavior. That we need some of you, some of you in this room, you need to be heroic kind of friends who are willing to be loyal no matter what through it all, at the same time also be truth tellers. We need some of you in this room to be heroic students who don't look at your age, but you look for what is right and you're willing to stand up for it no matter what. We need some heroic parents. Some parents who have a long view and are willing to make the sacrifice no matter what they hear, going, no, this is the thing. Here's the destination we're going. We need some heroic teachers. We need some heroic coaches that will impact the next generation. We need some of you in the business community to step up and be heroic business leaders and community leaders. And, and some of us are going through things right now, relationally, emotionally, so some of us financially. And it is going to require a heroic response. And you're kind of in the middle of it. And the question is, what will you do? Where are you going to find the strength? Where are you going to find the courage? So, so God begins to look for a hero. And as he often does, he chooses the most unlikely of person. And that's where we pick up Gideon's story. And uh, for our purposes, I think this morning, to help you kind of interact with it, we're going to talk about Gideon's story in four different kind of experiences. Four different experiences. And the first experience is, is this experience here. We call this first experience the potential. All right? The potential. Uh, when I played basketball, and that's probably why I love this J-Max story so much, in, in high school, I can remember my, one of my basketball coach, he'd pull me aside from time to time. He'd sit me down in his office and go, Ferguson... You got potential, kid. You, some of you know what's coming. You got potential. But you know what potential is? And he looked me in the eye. Potential is just ability sitting on its butt. <laughs> of course, I kind of paraphrase that. That's exactly how the coach said it. <laughs> All right. And so some, here's what we got. We have potential. And Gideon has potential. But here's where we find Gideon. We find him threshing in a wheat in a wine press. Now you're going threshing wheat in a wine press. What does that mean? Well, a wine press was really just, was just a hole dug out in the ground. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to separate the chaff, okay, from the grain. And the, normally the way you'd do that, to separate the chaff from the grain, you'd want to be somewhere where it was windy so the wind would be blowing, right? But Gideon's people are afraid. Gideon's family's afraid. Gideon's afraid. So he's actually doing this in a wine press. He's trying to do it down in a hole somewhere. I mean, he, he, Gideon here, he, he is surrounded by enemies, the Midianites on the outside, and on the inside is fear 
self-doubt, and massive insecurity. Well, what happens next? This is probably my absolute favorite moment in the story. Okay, so get, get the setting here. The guy's scared to death. I mean, he's absolutely scared to death. He's afraid of his own shadow, right? He's hiding in this hole. And suddenly an angel appears. An angel appears. And here's what the angel, the angel appears. The angel, the angel says this. He says to Gideon, he says this, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I mean, I have to imagine, here he is, he's hiding in this hole, he's scared to death, and he's going like, you know, things, things, are, things are already bad enough. If it's not bad enough, now I've got an angel who's coming and making fun of me. Now, I don't necessarily think God was making fun of him. I don't think the irony was probably last, uh, lost on God here, right? He's calling him a mighty warrior. But he says that, he says, mighty warrior. Well, what God sees in that moment is the potential inside Gideon. What God sees in Gideon is way more than Gideon sees in himself. And he looks down and he says, mighty warrior. And what God is offering him there, he's offering him a brand new vision for his life. He's offering him a brand new way of understanding himself. And of course, now in this moment, right, in that particular moment when he says this, Gideon is anything but a mighty warrior. He's no courageous leader. And he kind of responds the way we might expect. Even maybe the way we would react. He even says this. He says, you know, how can I save Israel? How, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. He says, God, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. I, 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 actually, I actually come from a town called Ophrah. That was the town Gideon was from, Ophrah. You know what Ophrah means? Dusty place. <laughs> he said, where I come from, there are no heroes made. You got the wrong guy. And not only that, you got the wrong guy in my family. I'm the youngest. I'm the runt of the litter. You had the wrong guy. And God says, nonsense. Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. And I'll tell you, I want you to hear me on this one. I think the reason that many of us can't see God's courageous and heroic plan for our life is simply this. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. I'll never forget this. I was, I think I was like seventh or eighth grade. I was at a summer camp. And I was at this summer camp. There was a guy named Dennis Gamoff. Dennis was a guy who had been a high school All-American in, um, in basketball from the state of Indiana. And he happened to be at this camp. And we just finished playing softball together. And he was a brilliant athlete. I remember watching him play third base quick as a cat. But anyway, and I remember we're walking back. And I'm like eighth grade version of me. We're walking back towards kind of the camp and the, we're going to have lunch or something. And I remember him kind of poking me in the chest a little bit. And he, and he says, you know, Dave, you could be a great leader. I mean, like Dennis Gamoff, right? This guy said this to me. And I'll tell you what, I have never forgotten that because in that moment, he saw something in me as a little dude, right? That I didn't see in myself. You could be a great leader. One of the things we try to teach our leaders around here and then also through new thing around the country and around the world is, is the four most important letters in the alphabet, the English alphabet, are this, I see in you. What are the four most important letters of the alphabet? I see in you. And we teach them to have I see in you. I see in you, Dave, way more than what, maybe what you see in yourself. I see you, the ability to change other people's lives for all of eternity. I see that in you. And we teach people to have those kind of conversations with people. I see in you. So we begin to see in ourselves what God sees us and maybe what we never, ever, ever saw. And here's something so important. God brought you into existence on purpose. 
Your existence on this planet is on purpose and with a purpose. And when God birthed every one of you, he birthed you with a dream. And God wants you to see it. So in your schools, so in your workplace, in your neighborhood, you can make a difference. He wants you to see yourselves the way God sees you. So that was the first experience, the experience of the potential. And here came the second experience. The, the next experience was this. Was, we're just gonna call it the peace. All right? God says this to Gideon in Judges six fourteen. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, listen, Gideon, you go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? I find this so fascinating because here's what he says. Notice he says, just go. Go in whatever strength you got. Even this little bit that you got right now, let's just, just get up and go. And he's saying the same thing to you. So what does Gideon do? He crawls out of the hole. He's not sure about the whole thing, this hero stuff. And he asks God for a sign. So God tells him, what I want you to do is you prepare a sacrifice. Take a meat and a loaf of bread and you put it on an altar. I want you to prepare a sacrifice for me. He does exactly that. As he does that, suddenly an angel appears in that moment with a staff. The angel, I'm trying to imagine, reaches out at the end of his staff and touches that sacrifice, the meat and the bread. And all of a sudden, as soon as the end of the staff touches it, it just spontaneously combusts. I mean, fire just comes flying out of the rocks. Totally consumes everything. Gideon's eyes are like this big because for the first time, he's seen a small, small, small glimpse of God's power. So Gideon does what any Israelite would have done. Next verse, he says this. It says, he built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. Now, why would they do that? Well, one of the things they would always do, they would always do this. If there was something that happened that was really important, they'd build an altar or a memorial because he was saying, you know what? I want to never forget this moment. This is gonna be a moment where every time I pass by here, I'll remember this is where I encountered God and his power personally in this place. And he named it Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And suddenly this guy, maybe you can relate to this now, who's been so, so, so afraid, hiding, he begins to have a peace, a supernatural peace of mind, a peace within himself, even though the circumstances around him are falling apart, there's this eternal peace. And the reason he has this peace is because he knows now that perhaps the power of God, okay, the power of God can work through him. You know, what I know, I, I, I know there's enough of us in this room that you're facing all kinds of challenges. Some of you at school, some of you at work, some of you at home. For some of you, I mean, it does. It literally feels like things are just falling apart. And it is. It's gonna take a heroic kind of effort. And I guess the question we have to ask is are you trying to do it on your own power? Are you trying to do this on your own power? Then comes the next experience. The next experience is what we call the test, okay? The test. There's a little bit of backstory here. Um, many of the Israelites were worshiping both, trying to both the one true God, but also the idols at the same time. They're trying to have it both ways, well, God says to Gideon, Gideon, listen, Here, here's the thing. You can't have it both ways. I, I do have a task for you to do. I, I have something heroic I want you to do. But before that, before anything else, I want you to go and tear down the idol that your dad built. So what's going on here? There's a test, and it's a two-part test. There's a spiritual test where he's saying, hey, I have to be number one. There can't be any other gods. Can't be any other idols. I need your complete, total allegiance and loyalty. I gotta be number one. So it's a spiritual test, but it's also a relational test, okay? Whose idol was it? Remind me, Who, whose idol was it? 
His fathers. I think that's important. It's his fathers. Because Gideon's thinking, you know what? I come from a whole long line of people who are lukewarm towards God. Kind of in and church, out of church. Not necessarily committed to things. Half in, half out. It was also a relational test. Would he be willing to stand up by beginning with his family? Would he stand up to his family and say God's number one? Well, he's not quite a mighty warrior yet. In fact, we're told he's so afraid of what his family's going to think of him kind of declaring his total allegiance to God and stepping into this, this kind of this, this, this new role that he, he does tear down the idol. But I think if you look at it, look at what it says here. He did it at night rather than the daytime. Why do you think he did it at night? <laughs> so nobody would see him, right? So, he, so everybody else is asleep. He sneaks out there, knocks down the idol, and runs back and jumps back in bed, right? That's what he does. There's our mighty warrior. Here, here's the thing that I love, though. You know what? Even with that little bit of faith, okay? Maybe that's all you got, just a little bit of faith. Even with a little bit of faith, God says, okay, that's good enough. We'll start there, Gideon. I'll use you. I'll use you. But here's the thing. God knew, okay? God knew that before Gideon could go out and take on the world, there was some stuff close to home that he needed to deal with. There was some stuff in his own life. And so ask yourself right now, I think there's some heroic things that God has for you to do. There's a power that he wants to work through you. But for many of us, there's gonna come a test. Okay, there's a test that starts close to home. It may be some things in your personal life you need to deal with before God will use you in a big way. For some of us, there may be some things that are some addictive kind of behaviors that we gotta get free of. For some of us, it might be our relationship with money. We've gotta get to a place of generosity. For some of us, it's, it's, maybe it's other relationships and we've gotta make those right if we're gonna move forward. And whatever it is, God will test you. And it might be. Maybe it's those people close to you. Maybe even your family going like, aren't you getting a little carried away? They roll their eyes with this God stuff. He's gonna test you. But once you get through that test, then comes this fourth experience. Here's the fourth experience. The fourth experience is the victory. All right? And in this fourth experience, here's what happens to, it happens to Gideon. It says this. It says, the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. And if we actually translate that, the original, the original Hebrew actually means, Gideon, it's like Gideon was clothed, okay? He was clothed with the spirit. It's like God was saying, okay, Gideon, now, 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 now I'm all over you. I am covering you, I am protecting you, I'm empowering you, I am giving you courage. And if you go back and read this in Judges 6 and 7, you see, in the Old Testament there, you see this transformation of this guy. A transformation. In fact, so much so that at this point now, now that God is covering him, he goes out and he challenges his countrymen, his people, and he says this, everybody rally around. Who wants to follow the Lord God into battle? Now this is the same guy who just a little while ago was shaking, hiding, scared to death. He goes from being like chicken heart to brave heart in this whole story. And so as he gives this rally cry, guess what happens? 32,000, 32,000 people respond and say, we will follow you, Gideon. That sounds pretty good, right? 32,000? Until you understand that the Midianites had 135,000. So he's still outnumbered five to one. Odds aren't very good. But you know what God says? God says, hey, Gideon, you know what? 32,000, that that was a very impressive uh, battle cry, but that's too many. Gideon's gotta be like, huh? I thought we were on a roll here. 
says, not too many. And God says this. He says, listen, this is not gonna be a Gideon thing. This is gonna be my thing. You got too many. Send some of them home. So Gideon get, rallies the guys together and says, hey, appreciate the adrenaline rush. Appreciate the testosterone. Glad you're here. I got a hunch that some of you are still afraid. If you're afraid, go on home. Of the 32,000, 22,000 take off. You're right, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm out of here. They go back to their hole. Now he's down to 10,000. Feeling pretty good. Okay, 10,000. We'll do it with 10,000, right? God says, you know what? Still too many. Still too many. And then God does this really weird thing. He says, here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to take them down by the river, all 10,000 of these guys. You take them by the, down the river, and I want you to watch. Whichever ones actually get on their belly, okay, and take the water in uh, on, on their belly, those you send home. Those that actually get down, and then they take the water, and they cup the water to their face, they stay. I don't know why. That's just what it says. So he does that. He does that. Takes them down, and guess what? 9,700 of the guys do this, get down on their belly. <laughs> I mean, Gideon has to be going like, oh, no. 9,700 of them get on the belly. He says, all right, go on home, guys. You go home, you go home, you go home, you go home. Only 300 are now left that actually cup the water with their hands. So now the odds are 450 to 1, 135,000 to 300. But here's what God promises. He says, all right, now we're ready, Gideon. In Judges 7, 7, he says this. He says, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and I will give the Midianites into your hands. Love this story. The middle of the night, Gideon rallies these 300 men together. He arms them, all right? He arms these 300 men. Guess what he arms them with? A trumpet, a clay pot, and a torch. I mean, they had to be going like, what's, what's the deal? Did you get these from like a garage sale? What are we doing here, right? I mean, where, where's my sword? Where's an Uzi? Where's something? Give me something, right? Not only does God use unlikely people, but God uses unlikely strategies. He takes those 300 men, surrounds the Midnight camp, and on Gideon's signal, one, two, three, now! Every mighty warrior... They break their clay pot, they blow their trumpet, and they flash their torch like this in the middle of the night. The Midians totally, totally freak out. They come out of their tents half asleep. They're all confused. They're jumping around in their pajamas, and they end up taking out their swords and actually fighting one another, each other, and destroying each other. And what happens is 300 men were able to courageously defeat an army of 135,000. And that story has been told and retold, and retold, and retold over and over and over again. And it all started with God looking down at one person and saying, mighty warrior. I think you can be a mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. With God looking down and seeing in you something you don't see in yourself, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior, mighty warrior, mighty warrior. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that for every one of us that come today with things that we're anxious about, things that we're stressed about, things where, where there's fear that actually kind of almost keeps us from moving forward, that keeps us hidden and hiding from things, from possibilities. I ask that you, 
in this moment, help us to see in ourselves what you see. That mighty warrior. Lord, I ask that um, the experiences that Gideon had, I ask that you make those a reality in every one of our lives. And this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.